morning. Welcome to Fam Church. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. We are excited that you are with us today. And our goal, our heart, our passion is to help lead people of all backgrounds to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We're here to reach this community. We're here to see Mulberry have their lives transformed, to see our community become something different because of this church and the work that God has called us to do here in this city. And uh, if you're here for the first time this morning, we're glad that you're here. If you're in church for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're really excited that you're here. And we want you to know that, uh, you know, we're not looking for something from you. We have something for you this morning. We, have, we, have, we, we just want you to sit back and relax because we believe that Jesus has something that he wants to speak into your life. And you're going to encounter him in a fresh and a new and a powerful way this morning. And so today, we are continuing on with our series called Cage, and if you missed the first three messages uh, in this series on Cage, you can uh, download our Fam Church app uh, on iPhone and Android. You can listen to it there. Uh, we have a, a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, or you can watch the video on uh, myfamchurch.com on the media tab uh, if you want to get caught up on that. But, uh, but, but what the, the series is about is it's about some of us, we feel trapped in life. As a matter of fact, many people, it seems, feel trapped in life. Uh, they look at other people's lives and they see the things that are going on. Like I had a conversation with somebody this morning and there's a lot of people on vacation this weekend and the thought was, how come my life couldn't be more together so I could be out on vacation all the time like so many other people, you know? I mean, these are the thoughts that we have and we look at other people's lives and we say, man, they got all their stuff together and I just look at mine and it's a jacked up mess and I don't know where it's going, what it's doing. And we look at ourselves and we say, man, I'm in a cage. And this morning, we're going to talk about the cage of fear. And so to set up what we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about some strange fears that people have. All right? Are you ready for this? I don't think you are. You guys just seem too dead this morning to be ready for this. You know what I'm saying? All right. So the first fear is diapnophobia. Has anyone ever heard of that one? No, I hadn't either, and actually when I typed this into my document on Word, it said the word was misspelled, so obviously it's not in the Word dictionary either. But what is diapnophobia? It's the fear of dinner parties. Seriously. Anybody struggle with that fear in the house this morning? Somebody calls you up and says, come to my house for dinner, and you're in terror. Is there anybody in the room with that this morning? I didn't even know people feared that, but obviously they do. Another fear that people have, uh, ven venustrophobia. This is the fear of beautiful women. Seriously. Okay. People have fears of beautiful women. I don't know why. I mean, it's whatever. I don't know. But people fear beautiful women. This one's my favorite fear, omphalophobia. The person who suffers from this one has a fear of belly buttons. So picture this. You get up in the morning and you go to take a shower and you take off your shirt and you scream at the mirror because there's a belly button looking back at you. Or this one, it's pretty good too. Euphobia. All right, this is the fear of getting good news. You know, you go and you interview for this job, your dream job. And you kill the interview and you're sitting there waiting for the phone call. And then one day your phone rings and you take out your phone and you answer your phone. And it's the job. And they say, congratulations, we're going to hire you. And you're like, ah, you know, because you're scared because you just got good news. 
This next one, vestophobia. It's the fear of clothing. I don't know. <laughs> Barb's raising her hand at this one. So, I mean, don't show up at her house unannounced because she may be naked. That's all that means, okay? But it's like you get up in the morning to get dressed to go to work. You open your drawer, you grab your underwear, and you're terrified of your underwear. I mean, is this what happens to people who fear this? You can't shop at Walmart because if you've shopped at Walmart, if you come down the grocery aisle on the one end, it's always on the end where the clothes are at. And so you'd have terror every time you hit that aisle. You know what I'm saying? And so, so fear of clothing. Um, and then there's all kinds of other fears that I wish we had time to talk about. Uh, people uh, fear things such as chopsticks. Uh, some people fear the stars, moon, and planets. Um, other people fear options in life. Uh, they're afraid of options. And then there's the fear, this one, I'm just trying to picture how this one works out in my head, but there's a fear of ugly things. And so that would be really scary, wouldn't it? If the person who has that fear walks up to you and goes, ah! You know, you're like, oh man, that's not good for me. But uh, I know when we think of those fears, for the majority of us, those fears seem really extreme and really strange. I don't think any of us at night say to ourselves, oh man, it's nighttime out and I've got to go to my car and the stars are out and the moon is out and there's some planets out and it's going to be a terrifying experience. You know, I don't think many of us go, man, I need to live in a nudist colony because I am totally afraid of putting on clothes. I don't think any of us fear going into a restaurant that has one of those soda machines with the, the, the touch screen that has like 300 choices of beverages and we just look at that thing and go man this thing terrifies me because there's too many options in front of me but see there are many of us that have real fears that keep us in a cage and keep us from living the life Jesus wants us to live some of us have fear that our life is going to turn out and we're going to get to the end of it and we're going to have no value we will have done nothing we will have accomplished nothing we will, we will have not lived a life of significance and I got to tell you, and it's not something that I totally fear, but it's something that constantly crosses my mind. I mean, every time, you know, I think of the church and I think of, gosh, I don't want to get to the end of my time of serving God and look back on my life and say, I didn't do anything uh, incredible for Jesus. I wasn't there to see lives transformed. I didn't let Jesus use me. And so sometimes this fear does run through my head. Some of you may fear something like a divorce. You fear that your husband or wife is going to walk away from you, and that fear keeps you in a cage. Others in here have a fear of a loved one dying. We're concerned that our husband or wife or even one of our children is going to die before us, and it keeps us in a cage. And when we live in a cage like that, a lot of times we'll make irrational decisions. And not only will we make irrational decisions, but when we fear something like our life is not all that we hoped it could be, it can cause us to do some really stupid things. It can cause us to become a workaholic and make our life about sacrificing for our job and that's all that we do and that's all that we live for, sacrificing everything else for it. Or because we fear divorce, we either sabotage a relationship before we get to the place where we get married or once we get into a marriage relationship, we're so afraid of the divorce that we'll do anything to keep it and make some very unhealthy decisions. 
Some of us are so fearful of somebody dying around us that we overprotect. You know, we, won't, we tell our child, you can't have a bike. You can't have a bike. Why can't I have a bike? Well, because I'm afraid that you're going to go out riding and you're going to fall or you're going to get hit by a car and you're going to die. And so therefore, you can't do it. Or maybe it's every time your spouse gets sick, complains about a chest pain or a headache, you got to take them to the ER because you think this is it. You think this is the end. You think that it is over at this point in time. Every lump under their skin is a tumor, and it traps you in the cage of not being able to enjoy the time that you have because you're too afraid of the loss. But can I tell you this morning that this is not where Jesus wants us to live? Jesus didn't put us here on this earth to live our life in a cage of fear. And so this morning, my goal is to give us several tools that we can use to keep this cage from locking us in. And if we're in this cage, it's tools that will help us to cut through the bars and break out of that cage to live the life that God wants us to live. And so to break out of this cage today, we're going to look at an event where fear presented itself and uh, what they did to not let fear lock them in in the cage. And the events this morning come from the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, it's in the uh, middle of the Old Testament. It's after First and Second Kings, but before Nehemiah, if you'd like to look it up. Uh, if you know where it's at, you can go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles. If you can't find it, that's cool. We're going to have it on the screen behind me. Uh, if you are here this morning and you do not have a Bible uh, and you would like one, you can pick one up at FAM Connections on your way out the door. Our new Bibles haven't come in yet, and so we've got some other ones. And so if you just need to take one today and then exchange it when we get our brand new ones in this coming week, you can do that as well just so that you have, just so that you have the Bible with you. And you may say, well, why do you guys give away Bibles all the time? The reason that we give away Bibles is because we believe as a church that the things written in that book, if you take them, if you read them and you apply them to your life, they're going to be life-changing and life-transforming. And so that's why we give it away. And so second, we're going to be in chapter 20 of Second Chronicles. Um, and there, there's two books with the title Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, and uh, they're part of what's called the historical books. Okay, the historical books, you got First and Second Samuel, you got First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, uh, you got Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And the reason they're called the historical books is the primary point of these books is to convey historical information. They're telling us about the history of God and his interaction with his people, the nation of Israel. And, and these books, that, that whole section starts off when the Jews arrive in the promised land, and it ends at the Babylonian destruction of the city uh, in, uh, in AD 586. Actually, Nehemiah goes on beyond that, and uh, they go uh, all the way up to uh, the Babylonian invasion. Um, I'm sorry, the Greek invasion by Alexander the Great. Sorry, I just totally confused everyone there. But uh, the, book in, the book of First and Second Chronicles starts its historical account at the time when David becomes Israel's king and ends when the Babylonians invade and take the nation of Israel as prisoner back to Babylon. Uh, this uh, starts 100 years after David dies and 300 years before the Babylonian invasion. We're going to read a big chunk of chapter 20. I'll probably skip a few verses that don't add anything to what we are going to look at this morning. Then once we go through the whole thing, we're going to break it down from there. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 30, um, and uh, this morning I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and uh, this is what it says starting in verse 1 of chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with some of them the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. 
from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, and so for the next several verses, it's a, it's a prayer that, uh, uh, that he prayed, as Je- that Jehoshaphat prayed. And so we're going to skip through the prayer because it doesn't add content to what we are talking about this morning. And we're going to skip down to verse 13, and this is what it says. It says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your positions, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites um, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army, they said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great number goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. There were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. All right, so we open this section by Jehoshaphat getting the news that a large army was coming out against Jerusalem. And see, in the, the news of an invasion was one that shook the nation of Judah to its core. Why it shook them was because they were a very small country. You see, at one point, all of the nations of Israel had been one nation. There were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. But there was this family dispute. There was this problem in the family. And, and, and the other 10, 10 of the 12 tribes said to themselves, you know what? We're sick and tired of following Judah. We think he's a punk. We think he's a jerk. We think he's whatever. And we're out of here. And so 10 of the 12 tribes left, and they formed their own nation called Israel. And these two were remaining, Judah and Benjamin. 
And Judah and Benjamin were very small uh, nations. They were very small people groups. And so because of that, they had very limited people resources. And because they had very limited people resources, they had a very small army. And because they had a small army, any word of a country coming to invade them sent fear through them because they thought for sure that that would be their death and destruction. It was one of the biggest fears of the leader of Judah that anyone, an army, would march out against their city and destroy it. So when Jehoshaphat heard the news of this army, the writer tells us he was afraid and who wouldn't be. But see, in this verse, in that section there where it talks about him being afraid, it also gives us the first key in breaking out of the cage of fear and keeping that cage of fear from coming and surrounding us. And the first place that we need to turn, the first thing that we need to do when we're in that situation is turn to Jesus, turn to God. See, verse 3 through verse 12 tell us how they turned to Jesus. They got together and they prayed. They got together and they fasted. They got together and they sang songs of praise to God. And I know that some of you, many of you are probably sitting there, yeah, that makes sense. I understand why they did that. I mean, that's what I do in the situation. But let me ask you this question. We see that, we read that, but is that how we actually live out our lives? When we're living our lives day to day and things come against us and we get news of things like that, do we stop and do we say, let me just turn this over to God? No, usually what is our response? I got this. I can take care of this. We don't, we do it by ourselves. We engage in the battle instead of turning to God. And many times when we turn to ourselves, we lose the battle. See, the, the Bible tells us over 100 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, do not fear. It's important for us to not fear, to not be afraid. I mean, that's the reason why God has said it so many times. But the reason he said it was this. is because we have to understand that in life, the battle is not ours. The battle is not our battle to fight. When the battle becomes ours, that means that we are placing our faith in ourselves rather than in God and saying, God, you know what? The battle is mine. I got this. But you know what? The, but we don't. That's the thing is so many people are living less than victorious lives in Jesus because they say, I got the battle. God's saying, no, the battle is mine. Let me do the fighting. And Barna did a study recently of America, and this is what, and this study was just done this year, okay? And what they did was they surveyed people and they asked them this question. When stuff goes wrong in life, when you've got problems to solve, who do you turn to? 91% of Americans answered myself. I solve my own problems. Well, they went to the church and asked those who consider themselves Christians the same question. Guess what answer they got when they asked Christians that question? 76% of those who follow Jesus gave the exact same answer that 91% of Americans give. We believe we can solve our own problems. 
Most believers don't think or feel that when they are in a battle, they need Jesus to intervene in the situation because they can take care of it themselves. And then we stand around, we read the book of Acts, and we cry about, God, why aren't we seeing you do great things today? It's because most of the time we say, God, I don't need you to intervene because I got this. Then we scratch our head and wonder why we live in the cages that we live in. We wonder why we're still locked up in our sin and addiction. We wonder why we are locked up in the cage of fear. We wonder why we are still locked up in the cage of not trusting God. We wonder why we are not locked up in the cage of thinking that God does not love us. And we wonder why we're locked up in the cage of our circumstances. It's because we can't solve our own problems. The battle is not yours. And until we get to the point in our life that we realize that the battle is not ours, we're going to continue to live in the cages that we live in. Whatever it is that you fear in life, let your first response be the response that Jehoshaphat had here. He went to faith in God, or he went to, he, he went to God in faith. He called a fast for the nation, and everyone gathered together and prayed and sought God. He went to Jesus first. But there's something else we need to see here in this text, and that is even though they fasted, even though they prayed, guess what? The battle still came. See, we've got this idea in our head that, like, God is this genie that we carry around in a bottle that uh, as long as we say the right prayer, practice the right formula, do it a certain way, that God's going to act on our behalf. I mean, that's just the picture that we get in our head, but God doesn't work like that, okay? He lets the battle come. He lets the fight come. There's no formula we can do to keep out of the fight. But we've got this idea. You know, we, like, like most parents in the United States these days have this thing of, I've got to protect my kid from all kinds of stuff. Protect, protect, protect. You know, that if I, if I love somebody, I won't let them go, go through things. Well, do you know that's one of the most dangerous things you can do for your child is to protect them from everything? What psychologists have discovered is that in our overprotective society in which we live in, kids are developing complexes and problems that kids in previous generations don't have. Okay, a lot of kids these days live with unreasonable fear and anxiety, and, it, and it's directly connected to the fact that we overprotect our kids and don't let them get into any circumstances or situations that involve a fight, that involve a battle, that involve a struggle, that involve some sort of, you know, having to wrestle with something. It hurts us when we do that. It hurts our kids when we do that. And it hurts us as followers of Jesus if God were to protect us from everything. And so God, a lot of times, lets us go through the battle. He knows it's good for us. He's not going to keep it from us. Even though they got out there and they fasted and prayed and worshiped before God, the battle didn't, that didn't stop the battle from coming. As a matter of fact, God spoke through one of the priests and told the people of Judah that the battle is coming, so don't be afraid or discouraged. So the battle's going to come to us. But we can't let that get us discouraged. We can't let, let, that, let that put us in the cage of fear. Instead, we have to know that God is with us, even though the cage is trying to surround us. The fear that we are living in is still coming at us. But see, that's what faith is. That's what faith is. And a lot of times, people live in fear because their faith is misplaced. 
place your faith in the right spot. And so the first part of breaking out of our cage of fear is to turn to and put our faith in Jesus. The second thing to break free from the cage that I see here is that our battle plan should be worship. All right, so let's start off with <clears throat> what a normal country would do to prepare to fight a battle like this, right? So what would a normal country do? They'd go out and they'd find the Navy SEALs, right? A normal country, they'd go out and they'd maybe find those guys who are like training for mixed martial arts and They'd go to the, the ninja warrior school and grab some ninja warriors, or they'd go down to the Jedi temple and, you know, grab themselves some Jedi knights, and, and, and they'd assemble all of these people together, and they would say, okay, let's go out and do this. Let's go take some, some let's go kick some butt here. And so they'd gather all of these warriors together and go and fight to try and defeat the foe. But what does Jehoshaphat do? Instead of going out to look and find people that can fight, he goes out and he puts a band together, okay? He puts a band together. He goes out looking for people that can sing, that can play a mean harp or a tambourine. Do we got any mean tambourine players in the room today? No, because Jehoshaphat may need you in his army. No soldiers, no warriors, no Jedis. You know, maybe in ancient Judah the musicians were better warriors, but I doubt it. Because uh, like the biggest high, it was, we always made fun of this. The biggest high school in Ocala is a school named Westport High School. And uh, it had like 2,200, 2,300 uh, high school students at it. But it was a fine arts school. And so they always had the worst sports teams. I mean, it didn't, they were huge, but they had the worst sports teams. Because the guy in guitar class can't play football. Okay? I mean, it's just the way it is. But so picture this in your brain. There's this huge army coming against your country, against your city, against your friends and family. You're ready to fight and defend it, but your leader says, let's get the band. Let's get the band. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, this guy's an idiot. This guy's crazy. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. And so I'm sure because of this, everyone was afraid. Why? Because they knew that they were going to be crushed. How's the band going to stop anyone? We're getting destroyed here. They're going to kill all the band and then march right through and take us off, carry our children to slavery. And the band, I'm sure, was extra, extra, extra scared. <clears throat> Why? They were put on the front lines. Okay, you're given a harp and put on the front lines. Uh, yes, you know, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, anybody who's fought in a war, would you want to harp and be on the front lines? Heck no! You, you'd want something more than a harp to fight. But that's what they were giving. They thought they were, I'm sure the band is like, this is our day to die. Not how to fight a war. But the more they feared, the more they trembled in fear, the more worship became their battle strategy. And that's what we need to see. Worship is an act of war. If we want to engage the cage of fear, we have to go to war with it, and that war is not fought with conventional methods of war that we know. As the cage closes in on us, we go to war with that cage by worshiping God. And when we do that, we declare war on the fear that is trying to get a hold of us. What happens when we engage that fear in war through worship is that it gives us the ability through Jesus to look at that fear and tell that fear, you may be here to try and take me down, but through God, I'm going to stare you in the face, declare war on you, and refuse to allow you to control my life. Worship 
is our battle plan. Then finally, the third key I see here in defeating the cage of fear is that once the battle is over, we need to rejoice in God's provision. Okay, look what they did in verses 27 through 30. They sang and they worshiped all the way back to Jerusalem. And when they got home, they continued to sing and worship God. Then the whole city came out to the temple and they entered into worship one more time. And when God gives the victory in our fears, we need to worship him for that and remember what God did in winning the victory for us. But many times what we do is we think, you know, oh, God, thank God that is over with. And we forget that Jesus did anything in the situation. We completely forget about God. And so worshiping at the end, it reminds us that it helps to get our brain once again focused on God and to help us to remember that as we worship, as we are, as we are worshiping, we're, we're, God is the one who won the victory. God is the one who won the battle in that situation. But it also has a second purpose. It helps to reload our weapons. Because when we go out and we fight and we battle, we lose, st- I mean, we lose our spiritual strength as we engage in battles like this. As we worship, it's, a, it's an act of war. And as we, as we war, we're, 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 we're using ammunition. We're using our spiritual strength. We're using all of those things that we have. And as we come back and as we worship, it's a way to rearm us, to re-energize us, to re-strengthen us, to, to build us up spiritually to get us ready for the next attack. And that's something else we need to remember. The enemy is going to come back. The enemy is going to come at us. Our fears are going to rise up again and try and smack us in the face, and we have to be ready for that. You may say, well, in the text, the enemy was defeated, wiped out, and destroyed, so why do I have to rearm? Well, we have to remember who our enemy is. Okay, we are not fighting a people enemy. Our enemy is Satan. And he is going to come at us and come at us and come at us until he is completely wiped out. When's that going to happen? When Jesus returns to this earth. Okay, so he's out there. Yes, he is defeated. Jesus beat him on the cross. But the fight is still going on even though he is defeated. I mean, we have to think about, think about, I want to just let you, think about ISIS for a minute. Okay, can I say a bold statement here? ISIS is defeated. There's no way that ISIS is going to continue to advance and take more territory, okay? It's not going to happen. They are defeated. You may be saying, well, that doesn't look like they're defeated. They're defeated, okay? In years from now, we're going to read about them in the history books. Are they still, though, engaging in conflict? Yes. Are they still making casualties? Yes. Are they still scaring people? Yes. Are they still bringing terror to places? Yes, they are, but that does not mean that they aren't defeated. And it's the same thing with Satan. Our enemy, Satan, he is defeated, but he's going to wreak as much havoc, as much terror, as much destruction as he possibly can until Jesus returns and puts his imminent defeat, puts him in that fiery pit, and this thing is over with. And so we have to be ready. He's coming at us, and 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 nothing is going to end that until Jesus returns. And I know some of us are just like, well, man, that's just so tiring. Why? 
enemy doesn't want to quit. He wants to drag as many of us with us as he can. And so be ready for the battle. Be ready for the fight. And then the final question we need to answer is this. What if I get into the fight and I turn to Jesus and then as the battle rages on, I worship, I send out the band ahead of everything else and the war still does not stop. It seems like there's no defeat of the enemies and my fears come true. My child has something terrible happen to him. My husband or wife gets sick and passes away. I lose my job and our finances become a train wreck. When we get in that spot, what we need to do is change that what if and make it a but even if. And to explain what I mean, I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And this is what it says. It says, furious with, ra- furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing a furnace. They were facing imminent death. And if anyone would find themselves in a situation that they were scared, that they were afraid, that they were terrified, it would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing there waiting to be thrown into this fire. But when this fear filled them up, when this fear surrounded them, Instead of looking at the situation and saying to God, God, where are you? I have served you all of the days of my life. I've lived for you. I've done what you've wanted me to do. Do you love me? Do you care for me? God, I don't want any of this what if stuff to go on. I don't want any of this what if stuff to happen. And God, if you let it happen, that says you don't love me. That wasn't their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were standing there and they were facing imminent death and they were facing one of those what-if, terrifying situations, they looked at the situation and instead of getting mad, angry, or frustrated with God, they looked at the situation and said, you know what, King, even if I end up dying in the fire, I'm still serving my God. Even if, but even if. And so what situation are you standing in front of this morning? What fearful spot are you in that you're looking at a what if becoming a reality? Are you going to say in those situations, but even if? God, the doctor report came back and it says I have cancer. 
but even if it's true, I'm gonna serve you. God, my husband or my wife, they're leaving me for somebody else and I feared this was gonna happen. What do I do? But even if they leave, God, I'm still going to go into the battle with you. God, my child, who I thought would outlive me, may not make it now. What do I do? But even if my child doesn't make it, God, you are my God, and I will serve you.